Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. The woke madness in history education is off the rails. Well, how do we change it? McClanahanAcademy.com. And because you listen to this podcast, if you use the coupon code PODCAST at checkout, you get 25% off every day, all day, 365 days a year on every class at McClanahanAcademy.com. So go to McClanahanAcademy.com, use coupon code PODCAST at checkout, and get a real history education at 25% off. Are progressives liberal? That's a really interesting question, one we'll talk about on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com and roll free of charge. Also, purchase classes there. It keeps this podcast free of charge. If you're getting this in November of 2023 and that month is rapidly coming to a close, you want to use the coupon code BLACKFRIDAY23 and get 35% off. Now look, this is this is it. This is the best price you're going to get all year. So you want to do it. You want to pick up these courses at 35% off. Who knows with prices keeping keep rising, who knows if the classes will stay at the price they're at right now. So Make sure you pick those classes up at 35% off. It's a win-win. You keep this podcast free of charge, and you get awesome content on the back end. You can also support the show by clicking on the Shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com or, of course, the Support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can also go to Spotify for Podcasters. Click on the little heart button under the video if you're watching on YouTube, the Super Thanks button. But as always... Rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast so people know you love it. Share it around on social media. Give that five-star review. Leave a text review wherever you can. And comment on YouTube for the algorithm. And send me those show requests. I do want to see what you want to hear. All right, so we have a brief week this week. Just two episodes. It's, of course, Thanksgiving week. So we're going to be back to three next week. But this week, just two. And I want to talk about this very interesting argument that progressives aren't liberals. This is a New York Times opinion piece. And it's written by uh, Pamela Paul, who in fact was the New York Times book review editor, I think, for, for years. But this is a really interesting uh, dichotomy. You know, progressives aren't liberal. Liberals and progressives are different. Now, what this shows is that there's perhaps a crack in the left. You know, It's oftentimes said that the right, for example, is being driven by Trump in Trumpian conservatism, uh, populism. This, you know, far right. The far right is driving the right, which we know isn't true because if you look at Congress and what they do, the far right never really has much of an impact there. The Congress generally, the moderates go along with the Democrats, and that's generally what happens. As I'm recording this, we know that there's the new Speaker of the House, Speaker Johnson, has sided with the Democrats to avoid a shutdown. They're not really doing anything that they said they were going to do, the Republicans. That's that's the Republican Party. If you're a conservative and you believe in the Republicans, you're bound to be disappointed. But the fact is, there are some that believe that the left is being hijacked by the progressives. That the far left is driving the Democratic Party. 
And that's bad for the Democratic Party. If you look at Joe Biden, Joe Biden has always portrayed himself, or at least positioned himself as a moderate. You know, on some issues, he at least gives lip service to the left, and actually far left, and actually follows their lead. But on other issues, he doesn't. I mean, a nice example of that. The Democrats are perfectly willing to go out and bomb everywhere. The establishment Democrats, Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden, most of the Democrats in Congress, whereas the far left aren't. Now, you look at the, the schism that's now taking place in the far left, in Congress even, with those that are pretty upset about the U.S. support for Israel, for example, which is fascinating to me. Uh, you have... Uh, people like Nina Turner, who's not in Congress, but she is certainly a voice on the progressive left, criticizing establishment Democrats, saying that this is a racist position, that what they're doing by supporting Israel and attacking anti-Israeli members of the Democratic Party is racist. It's a fascinating argument to watch it all play out. But I found this piece to be interesting because this really does deal with a a difficult set of intellectual issues. What is a progressive? What is a liberal? And are there differences between liberals and classical liberals? <laughs> uh, I mean, this is important. What is a conservative? What is an American conservative? And are these liberals really conservatives? That's important. Because what I think that Pamela Paul is defining in this piece is not a liberal. She's defining a conservative. She's defining an establishmentarian. That's important. Because what you have in the Republican Party and the Democratic Party are generally establishmentarians. They believe in the system that has been created, now generally from the left, but they believe in that system. So if you have that, then these people really aren't liberals or conservatives. They're establishments. They're establishmentarians. And they seek to, they're, they're conservatives with, say, a lowercase c. In that, they seek to conserve the order that's been established. When I talked about the military last week, and I said, the issue here really isn't you know, recruitment. It's why we have the military the size that we do. Liberals would certainly be okay with the size of the military that it is because of jobs. I've seen it over and over again. And not just that, because it, is, it maintains the status quo. The United States military before World War I had 125,000 soldiers in its standing army. We've not gone under a million, really, since World War II. Now, after World War I, there was a general downsizing. We got down to maybe 300,000 to 400,000, somewhere in that range. But we haven't been at 125,000 since 1917. So over 100 years, the United States has been in a position where we have hundreds of thousands of troops in a standing army. And since World War II, I mean, it's been a million. A million, generally. We're at 14 million during the war. We've generally been around a million since World War II, sometimes higher during the Korean War, during the Vietnam War at different times, but a million men and women now in service. And that is something that the establishmentarians want to conserve. They want to conserve the status quo. 
the left, generally left of center, but center left, or you could say center left, or in some way center right, but centrist position of America that is based on the idea of a progress. So this is really interesting. So Paul begins by saying, remember when liberal was a dirty word in the 1980s? Ronald Reagan, who often prefaced it with a damning, with a damning, I'm sorry, tax and spend may have been the most effective of bashers. But the most blatant attack was in the early 90s after Newt Gingrich's political organization, GOPAC, sent out a memo, language a key mechanism of control, urging fellow Republicans to use the word as a slur. Now, this was actually genius on Newt Gingrich's part. Language does matter. Terms matter. How we define progressive, how we define liberal, how we define conservative, how we define federalist and anti-federalist, all these things matter. These terms, the way we use language, matters. The way we've used populism as a slur, the way we use Trump as a slur, it matters. As a pejorative, traitor, lost causer. I mean, you could come up with all kinds of things that are being now used to define things that really have no meaning whatsoever other than just as a pejorative. And liberal, conservative, these things have become that too. We have lost any anchor to language because so many of these terms are fluid based on how people are using them that day. Now, that's language in general. Uh, if you go back and look at just history of language, that language works that way. Even in ancient languages, they, they change over time. I mean, it happens. But she says, this worked. Even Democrats began avoiding the dread label. In a presidential primary debate in 2007, Hillary Clinton called herself instead a modern progressive. She avoided the term liberal again in 2016. Now, this is important. I remember when this happened. I've been teaching progressivism for 25 years. And for a long time, in the 90s and into the 2000s, early 2000s, Nobody really had any idea of what this term meant. We just called people, we had the progressive era. Woodrow Wilson was a progressive. Franklin Roosevelt was a progressive. We didn't really know what that term meant. We started using the term liberal because that's what became very popular in the 1960s. Liberal. And so that generation of people, the baby boomers, began using that term liberal to, to differentiate themselves from conservatives and so, as the Republicans took power in the 90s, and of course, during the Reagan years, people started using that term as a pejorative, it stuck. I mean, it, she's exactly right about this. It stuck. And so, Hillary Clinton calls herself a modern progressive. Now, this is interesting because she's differentiating herself from a, from a progressive from the 19th century, or the early 20th century. She's a modern progressive. But still using that term progressive because she knows nobody really knew what that meant. But I would say that Hillary Clinton was actually being more accurate in calling herself a progressive than anything else. And I would say that Miss Paul doesn't really understand this. Now, she's going to make the claim that she's a liberal and that liberals are kind of lost in the wilderness of the left and the Democrats. They've, they've been kind of left out to dry because of things they believe in. But progressives believe in all these things too. All of them. Now, what she'll say is that the progressives have become much more totalitarian. 
the left was already moving in that direction. And her position that leftist liberals really do believe in free exchange of ideas and all these other things doesn't really work. Now, Hillary Clinton is, in many ways, just as many on the left are, totalitarian. She wants to have a lot of power. She wants to use that power and the power of government to suppress things she doesn't like all the time. She is a foreign adventurer. She, she loves to have U.S. foreign policy going out and blowing things up. I mean, it's clear. Uh, some of the best slaps I've read, you know, if you look at, uh, you know, if you want big government on both ends, you vote for a Democrat because they're going to give it to you. They're gonna, you're going to get big foreign policy and big domestic policy. It's, it's both. And that is Woodrow Wilson, Franklin Roosevelt, Harry Truman, Lyndon Johnson. I mean, just go take your pick. All these people were progressives. But I find this fascinating that, you know, now people are, oh, no, wait, progressives are taking over the party, and that's not what we are. This is really interesting. Now the word is back. The portion of Americans who told Gallup pollsters they were liberal has increased from 17% in 1992 to 25% in 2021. Still lower than proportions of those who said they were conservatives or moderates. But the way liberal is being used now is more confounding than ever. Never Trump conservatives tout their bona fides as liberals in the classical 19th century sense of the word, in part to distinguish themselves from hard-right Trumpists. Others use liberal and progressive interchangeably, even as what progressivism means in practice today is often anything but liberal, or even progressive for that matter. I disagree. Benito Mussolini called himself a progressive. See, this is a subjective term. This is the problem with the term progressive. But you look at progressivism in the late 19th and early 20th century, even the mid-20th century, and this is what you get. Mussolini was a technocrat. He was a progressive. Hitler was a progressive. They were progressives. Joseph Stalin was a progressive. Vladimir Lenin was a progressive. These people were all progressives. They believed in progress. They might have used conservative rhetoric at times. Mussolini did it very effectively, and Hitler would too, to an extent preserving the core of Germany, these kind of things. But they were all progressives. There's a great book by a man named Shevelbush, Three New Deals, and it explains how there was a, a very profound similarity between Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal and the domestic pro programs and policies of Mussolini and Hitler. They're all democratically elected, and that's an important distinction to make. Three new deals. So these people were all progressives. What, what Paul isn't like is that she's being lumped in with these people. She doesn't like that she's being lumped in with people that would, she, would, she would consider to be conservatives. But are they really? Or are they just finally admitting who they are? These neoconservatives, East Coast Straussians, even some West Coast Straussians. West Coast Straussians have have tended to try to try to separate themselves from the East Coast version. They've been doing that for years, but also neoconservatives, even though for a long time they were certainly in lockstep on a number of things. What's happened with the West Coast Straussians is that they've started to, to get a little more real about the culture war and, and foreign policy. They've 
kind of drop their affinity for Lincolnian world building, even though they're all still Lincolnians. They, they're a little more reserved in that way. But until they drop Lincoln, they can't really come to the, to the side they need to come to. If you're going to have Lincoln, you're going to be a progressive. Because Lincoln was that. So she says, for those who have never abandoned the term, meaning liberal, why let Republicans define us? Liberal values, many of them products of the Enlightenment, include individual liberty, freedom of speech, scientific inquiry, separation of church and state, due process, racial equality, women's rights, human rights, and democracy. Now, we could quibble with some of this list. How committed were these people to racial equality is, of course, up to debate. Women's rights, yes, you started seeing some people in the 18th century that, that pushed for women's rights, I mean, really beginning in the late 18th century. That happened. In the 19th century, you saw it more. Uh, but then these other things, you know, separation of church. What she's actually trying to define here is kind of this late 18th century, uh, in, not, not necessarily enlightenment, but it does, it's a byproduct of that. These late 18th century philosophers, Rousseau, Locke, these people, Hobbes, I mean, you go down the list. That's what she's trying to do and saying that that's who we are. Unlike classical liberals, i.e. usually conservatives, liberals do not see government as the problem, but as a means to help the people it serves. So now she's differentiating herself from Classical liberals and liberals. She's trying, I mean, you're really now getting in the weeds. So these people really aren't liberals. We're liberals. They're classical liberals and we're just liberals. But what she says next is really interesting. Again, you could say this is more of like a mainstream establishmentarian because what does she define? Liberals, meaning what she is, fiercely defend Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, Obamacare, the Voting Rights Act, and the National Labor Relations Act. They fiercely defend these big government programs. So she's saying that classical liberals wouldn't, wouldn't defend those things, but they do. They might talk about trimming around the edges, but they all agree in principle that these things should probably stay there. I mean, look, do you think George Will, who's a never-Trumper, would come out and say the Voting Rights Act is a bad thing. Or how about the National Labor Relations Act? They just want to trim around the edges. Would George Will be in favor of abolishing Social Security? No. How about Medicare or Medicaid or even Obamacare? No. He might write some things that are critical of it, but he's not going to be interested in abolishing it. Particularly when you say the Voting Rights Act. I mean, come on. What, what establishment conservative would say, we need to get rid of the Voting Rights Act? None of them. They wouldn't even say we need to get rid of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 or anything else that you would say would be uh, you know, far right. They wouldn't do that. These people would be in line with the, with the welfare or warfare state that's been established since the middle of the 20th century. Really beginning, even before that, with Woodrow Wilson. They're all in favor of the warfare state. They're in favor of the great American empire. They're in favor of all the domestic policies and programs that have been put in place. They're in favor of using the 14th Amendment as the Constitution. They're in favor of all of that. I mean, to say that they're different is wrong.
They believe government has a duty to regulate commerce for the benefit of its citizens. They tend to be suspicious of large corporations and their tendency to thwart the interests of workers and consumers. But that's not true. They're not really suspicious of large corporations, other than we don't like corporations when they do things that would be in the name of profit if it's not in line with social justice. They're fine with corporations. They love corporations. They love big corporate America because big corporate America forces a progressive or leftist agenda on the population. As recently, she says, as the 2000s, the difference between liberals and progressives was often a matter of degree. They all believed in big government. You see, she's admitting, well, it was all big government. Obamacare versus Medicare for all, or increasing the top marginal tax rate versus imposing a wealth tax. But while liberalism's most strenuous threat comes from the Trumpian right, a split over basic principles and the purpose of the left has been widening. Ooh, interesting. We have a split now in the left. We have the far left and the center left, just like you're seeing a far right and a center right, supposedly, in American government. The soul of these parties is being tested. Why is the question. Why is all of this happening? And this is why the center left and the center right are working together more often than not, because they believe in the establishment. What she is basically outlining here is that we have an establishment center in America and we have two groups on the, on the sides that are trying to constantly tear that down. One does believe in using government authority in a very aggressive way. Now, I wouldn't say the left doesn't necessarily believe that either. The old leftists, the old classical leftists who just kind of wants to have some government that does things, but yet is certainly interested in free speech, as she's going to define it here. And I think she's right. Those people are few and far between anymore. The progressives really have taken over the party, even though she says that that's not, I mean, this isn't true. But they have. Because they were always progressives. In an increasingly prominent version of the progressive vision, capitalism isn't something to be regulated or balanced, but is itself the problem. White supremacy doesn't describe an extremist fringe of racists and anti-Semites, but is instead the inherent character of the nation. Now, what she is doing here, she's kind of being a Bill Maher, right? This is Bill Maher, politically incorrect, sitting there and blasting wokeism, blasting all this stuff, saying, this isn't me. This is what she's trying to do and trying to position herself as, hey, look, I'm willing to work with you. You know, I'm, I'm all for capitalism. Joe Biden, I'm for capitalism. I'm all for these things. They're trying to set up. And, and look, there's, there's a motivation in this. They're trying to lay the groundwork for a centrist Democratic Party to bring in some of the other centrists and run the establishment. We're not the far left. We believe in free speech. We're not trying to shut any of that down. We're not trying to keep any of that away. We're not trying to do any of these things. We just believe that government is here to help you. Uh, and, and look, it's a matter of degree. You might say that, you know, it doesn't mean this or that, but we're, we're all going to kind of come to the same thing because we know that at the end of the day, we'll win. Now, this is a, an amazing paragraph, the next one. She says, some aspects of contemporary progressivism look less like actual progress and more like a step in reverse. Now, again, this is all subjective. The progressives would say, this is certainly progress. What I think Paul is trying to do here is stop 
the left from going to its natural state, which is chaos. Which is always moving the goalpost. It's the same thing the West Coast Straussians are trying to do. You see? Uh, yeah, we believe in the proposition nation, but we got it. Right? The war ended. Slavery. We've had all these advancements and, and civil rights. Why keep pushing the, the envelope? And that's exactly what Paul is trying to say here. We've got these things. Government's helping people. We need to stop it now. We've won. But that's not how the left works. That's not how it ever works. These people are living in a fantasy land. Once you open the Pandora's box of equality and the proposition nation, it is an ongoing revolution. The founding generation realized that very quickly. It's why they backtracked on it so much. It's why when they made these grandiose statements in the 18th century, they never really believed it. They couldn't because they realized almost immediately that, oops, what we've just done here is disrupt the entire order of society. And so what Paul, the liberal, is trying to do with the progressives is saying, we've already got to the point. We can't go any further. They're saying, you yeah, get out of the way. She is a Girondist. She's not, she's not the Jacobin. She is the revolutionary who thinks the revolution has exceeded what it, what it intended to do, and then she's going to be guillotined. You see, because the far left will always push the envelope. Now, there will be a reaction to it, and eventually the moderates will kind of come in, and they'll, they'll try to clamp down the far left, but it never ends. These people are relentless. The progressives are relentless. Once you open the box, you can't contain it. Whereas liberals hold to a vision of racial integration, progressives have increasingly supported forms of racial distinction and separation and demanded equity and outcome rather than equality of opportunity. Again, who gets to define where you stop these things? I mean, look, from a progressive standpoint, why, if we have this structurally white supremacist society, which is what they say it is, I mean, you can go back and look, 1790 Immigration Act, or Naturalization Act, I'm sorry, which said that you had to be white to be a citizen of the United States, and you look at all the things that happened. I mean, you could say, well, this is, I mean, this is what we had. Why are we stopping? We need to take all of that out. We need to structurally remove all those things. This, the revolution has to continue. Why are you trying to stop the revolution? And why is it that we have just integration? I mean, does that work well for all of the minorities? Does that work well for them? Do, do they actually integrate into society? Or are they still considered to be separate? I mean, these are the questions the progressive act, progressives ask. And Paul would say, no, 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 we have all this stuff. We have to stop it. They don't care. You see, they don't care. And people like Paul who are now complaining about this, have been willing accomplices in this fact for a long time. Whereas most liberals want to advance equality between the sexes, many progressives seem fixated on reframing gender stereotypes as gender identity and denying sex differences, whereas wherever they confer rights or protections expressly for women. So, they, I mean, they're, they're blowing up the establishment order that was created in the middle of the 20th century. You see, these people are conservatives with a lowercase c. People like Paul and the never-Trumpers are conservatives. They, they have a vision of America they're trying to conserve. 
and all these other people were trying to blow it up. And whereas liberals tend to aspire toward a universalist ideal in which diverse people come together across shared interests, progressives seem increasingly wedded to, the, to an identitarian approach that emphasizes tribalism over the attainment of common ground. I mean, she's defining the, the progressives. And by default, this identitarian approach is now being adopted by people on the right, too. I, look, she's right about all of this. She's right about it. But the left and the liberals that she's saying have been driving this as well. All the things she's talking about, that she wants to protect these certain pieces of legislation, this, 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 and this, that started it all. That kicked it all off. They opened the box. But it was, but we can't go any further than this. This is just what we have to do. It's almost like Elizabeth Cady Stanton saying, well, all I really want to have is just voting for women. That's not what you're going to get ultimately. It's going to do all these things. People have been pointing this out since the 19th century. You open the box and you're going to get all this stuff. It doesn't matter where you want to stop. It will never stop. It'll consume itself. More reactionary still is the repressive nature of progressive ideals around civil liberties. It is progressives, not liberals, who argue that speech is violence and that words cause harm. These values are the driving force behind progressive efforts to shut down public discourse, disrupt speeches, tear down posters, censure students, and deplatform those whom, with whom they disagree. But you look at the left, and most of them would be on board with this. Divisions became sharper after the October 7th Hamas attack when many progressives did not just express support for the Palestinian cause, but in some cases even defended the attacks as a response to colonialism and opposed retaliation as a form of genocide. One might argue that it is, a, it is similarly illiberal for universities to suspend or cut funding to student groups that support Palestinian rights, and several have, do, uh, several have done. Though Those actions often came after a chance by the groups that administrators considered threatening towards Jews. I mean, again... These are their people, though. They've created all this. All this stands in marked contrast to the liberal stance that more speech is better speech, allowing for the free exchange of ideas. Is that real? I mean, is that liberal? What, what kind of liberal is that? What kind of liberty is that? We know that the progressives have been here for a long time. They're the political Puritans. I've been talking about this. Look, the Puritans are a certain form of American leftists, the political Puritans, that have been there since the 17th century. They're the purifiers. The progressive, the leftist movement has to be pure. If it's not pure, it's not really leftist. It has to be pure. You see, she's not a Puritan. She's something else. As David Frum, not generally considered liberal himself, wrote recently in The Atlantic, how is a society ever to settle its most important questions if it follows the rule, the more important a question, the more strictly its discussion is forbidden? While progressives are not a large group, between 6 and 8% of the voting population, according to recent studies, they are likely to be the loudest on the left and most likely to shut out their would-be liberal allies. As Jonathan Haidt has noted, they also dominate the political conversation on social media. So they're shutting out their own, their own allies. No, they're not. You see, what's funny about this is that Paul's going to complain about these people, but yet they'll still work with them because they're willing allies in the march for bigger and bigger government. They have that in common. And as long as that's the goal, more government power, 
they're going to be on board with it. In his recent book, The Struggle for a Decent Politics on Liberal as an Adjective, the political philosopher Michael Walzer writes that liberals aspire to be open-minded, generous, and tolerant. He also notes, regretfully, illiberalism is more common than it should be among those who are, at least formally, members of democratic and socialist parties. But that's the, that's the very nature of ideology. If you're not on board with the ideology, you are an enemy. And liberalism, at its core, is an ideology. Now, if you're just talking about conserving things that are already there, if you're looking at this as pragmatism, there's a whole other issue with that. What they're really defining themselves as is pragmatists. Well, we have these positions. We have the establishment order. They're establishment, establishmentarians. That's what they are. They're not liberals. They're not conservatives. They're establishment. Keep the status quo, the order that we have. We can move gently in different directions, but keep the status quo. Don't tear any of it down. The status quo, though, if you start the liberal revolution, the leftist revolution is always going to be moving. This brings us to the most troubling characteristics of contemporary progressivism. Whereas liberals tend to bribe themselves on acceptance, many progressives have applied various purity tests to others on the left. And according to one recent study on the schism between progressives and liberals, are more likely than liberals to apply public censure to divergent views. This intolerance manifests as a professed preference for avoiding others with different values, a stance entirely antithetical to liberal values. What did I just say? The progressives are Puritans. They always have been. The people that the left champions are Puritans. They're progressive Puritans over and over and over again. And when they become your heroes, you've lost any room to complain. But that's what they are. You see. What a strange paradox. At the very moment, the word liberal is enjoying a renaissance. Liberalism itself feels on the wane. Many liberals find themselves feeling lonelier than ever. So, I found this piece to be fascinating. She's, she's actually correct about some things, what progressives are and all these things. But... but the liberals are the reason why we have these things to begin with. So, great piece. Hope you have a good time off uh, for the holidays, and I'll see you on the next time on The Brian McLean Show.